Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Lee Sammartino. Lee, you're the CEO of Iconic Tonic. I like the name. I am. Thank you very yeah, much. The, yeah, the website is IconicTonic.com. It's I-K-O-N-I-C Tonic, T-O-N-I-C.com. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about, but I want to start off. <laughs> for those who are watching our interview on YouTube right now, you can see Lee behind you got a drum kit. And, uh, and so we were talking before we started uh, recording and Lee could share us a little bit about your, your drum experience. I started drumming from an early, very early age, uh, seven years old. Uh, I was in love with Motley Crue and Tommy Lee. I wanted to be just like him. And so my parents bought me a drum kit and I really never looked back. Uh, I started playing in bands when I was 12 years old, uh, really got into hard rock and metal in uh, in the high school years, uh, gigged all around Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, uh, where I grew up. And then in college, uh, we were in a Pantera tribute band. And, you know, ah. it, it's kind of funny because we actually got paid really well to yeah. tour as a tribute band versus now it's, you know, the money's not there. And, uh, you know, had some of the greatest experiences of my life, toured out to, you know, Chicago, down south, uh, on the East Coast, uh, played all over the Northeast. We actually used to play a lot with Stained, which is, you know, a huge band uh, before they were actually uh, Stained, before they were found by Limp Bizkit. Uh, we were actually wow. at that show when that whole entire thing happened and transpired. So it was kind of, you know, that's where I started was, you know, drums, uh, recording artist, uh, you know, engineer, really found fascination in, in music and never looked back, you know, 47 years old and I wouldn't have changed anything for the world. Can I ask with it when, if you're doing a tribute band, can, I mean, can Pantera say, hey, you can't do that? <laughs> So it's kind of funny, ASCAP and BMI uh, have, in order to play live music at a club, you have to have a uh, cabaret license. And basically ASCAP and BMI cover that. And in that fund that is paid into that for the cabaret license, that money has to go towards ASCAP and BMI. And then it's equally distributed out amongst the bands. Um, naturally, you can't claim it as your own music. Uh, you know, YouTube yeah. has various regulations with regards to, you know, if you're covering a song, you can't monetize it and things along those lines. So, mm. you know, those things didn't exist back then. You know, you're, you're going back almost 30 years. Um, you know, it's uh, quite some time ago. Not as young as yeah. I used to be. But uh, did, did, was there ever any communication between you and Pantera? So it's funny, we met them uh, and we're oh. actually on their tour bus in Hartford, Connecticut. Great story and great guys. I mean, legitimately some of the yeah. nicest guys we've ever met. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, Dime and uh, Vinnie Paul, the drummer, two yep. brothers, they're, they're yeah. passed on now. Um, but legitimately just great, great guys. And so we met them in Hartford. You know, we told them hey, we're huge fans, Pantera Tribute Band. Well, they went on tour with the first OzFest. And so we played up in the Northeast, wherever they played, we would show up for the radio promotions the day beforehand. And we would play with a band called Believer, which was an Ozzy tribute. And so, I mean, everything was packed. We played, played like 2000 person venues in Boston, Connecticut, Rhode Island. It, it was huge. It was almost like we were the band. 
Um, you know, so it was, it was pretty insane. It was cool. Yeah. You know, I talked with, uh, there, there's a band that, that comes around here in Orlando every year, um, plays at Epcot. And I had the opportunity to chat with uh, the, the, the guy who plays Bono. And uh, so as I said, so have you ever had any connection with you too? He goes, believe it or not, somehow they found out we were playing in, t- in town while they were there. And of course, we went to their show afterwards. <laughs> And he actually gave them a shout out from the stage. Really? Uh, you know, and of course, you too, you know, a giant stadium kind of situation. He goes, it, it, I will never, you know, I will never have a moment like that in my life. You know, again, that was just, you know, such an honor. So, uh, okay, so you go from uh, Pantera cover band. So you're now the CEO and founder of Iconic Tonic. Tell me about what Iconic Tonic does. Uh, so we're a brand agency that bridges the human connection between brands and their consumers. Um, and it's every single touch point, whether it's technology, marketing, uh, design. Uh, we've designed uh, store environments for retail, hospitality environments. We've built them out. Uh, we've done all the graphic design, signage, uh, mobile applications. In 2008, when the retail economy dropped out, I realized you know, that there had to be a significant shift from what I was doing, specifically concentrating just on retail. and more open up the broad focus, especially with the advent of mobile applications. The iPhone had just been released a year earlier. Android Android mm-hmm. was starting to make its push. And, you know, we started seeing the writing on the walls that that it, the true omni-channel experience was going to be very real in a very short amount of time. And, yeah. you know, I had always been a data guy, you know, and I, and I had always followed the trends and where things were going. So in the early days, we became an iOS developer early on. Um, you know, we, we really kind of created it from a technology foundation and really truly understanding what the consumer experience looked like in that space and then how it transcended the physical space. So a lot of what we do is, is we try to understand the consumer behavior and help our clients uh, with you know, how the consumer interacts with their brand on the one side in the physical space and in person, and then assure that that brand aligns and the voice aligns over on the digital space as well. Yeah. Uh, so you, Lee, you guys have worked with some big clients, Home Depot, Apple, uh, I see what, Hay House, Lowe's, uh, Luxottica. Uh, how did you get seen by these? how did you get connected with such big brands and how did you win that business? So, it was kind of funny. When I first got out of college, uh, I moved to California, uh, didn't really want to work, uh, started skydiving when I was in college and moved to Southern California where it's just sunny all the time. And uh, so I started skydiving. We put on an event and the event, uh, we were looking for sponsors and we ended up partnering with the Extreme Sports Channel out of the UK. They happened to be launching a 24-7 channel inside of the United States, uh, which ultimately became Fuel TV. And I ended up getting a job with them. So that was my first job out of college. So I was exposed, you know, right out of college and kind of thrown to the wolves, you know, big advertisers, you know, we were, we were working with NASCAR, we were working with Pepsi, Coca-Cola, you know, we were working with the big brands and the big agencies for a lot of the events and the programming that we're doing around the globe. And so grew my, grew myself through, you know, for three years with them. And once uh, we were supposed to do a joint venture deal with uh, Fox, and it was going to be 24-7 uh, Action Sports Network. And uh, they didn't end up coming to terms, and Fox ended up launching Fuel. I was offered a job with Fuel, but I didn't want to move to Los Angeles. And that was the basically the the hitch point of of whether I had the position or not. So I stayed in San Diego and assumed that I'd be able to stay in entertainment, which everybody mm-hmm. that knows in entertainment just doesn't really exist in San Diego. 
Yeah. There's a, a hard, hard divide south of anything south of Long Beach and even some of Long Beach. So it was, it was, yeah. it was difficult. I couldn't find a job. So I kind of reverted back to what I knew, which was I knew sound engineering. I knew that I could make an okay living. It allowed me to skydive during the day. I could work all night <laughs> you know, doing gigs, rigging and things on those lines. And uh, then things started to get real. I had to actually kind of buckle down and, you know, become somewhat of a sensible adult and ended up, I uh, was on a boat with a friend and there was a gentleman who had a retail construction and installation company. And I had a background in construction and development because my parents were developers back in Connecticut uh, when I was growing up. So I understood, you know, construction, running projects. So he hired me on. And that was my first foray into retail. I didn't even know this, this was even an industry. You know, I didn't understand that, you know, the, the people in the stores that were building stuffing, putting products on shelves and merchandising. I didn't know that those weren't actually, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart's personnel, but an external company would send them in specifically on behalf of the brands. So it was, that was my first foray into retail. And then because yeah. of my construction background, uh, I started building out stores and started managing national projects. And, you know, fast forward, I started consulting on my own. And then 2008, everything was very successful. Uh, we all saw the economy take a serious downturn. And when that downturn happened, I had really good operational skills, uh, you know, really good management and logistical skills but I didn't really have any hands-on skills. So I found myself in kind of a weird position where the only thing I had known uh, for the last eight years was retail. And when that was no longer there, the jobs weren't there, retailers weren't hiring, uh, the, the companies that were still in existence weren't doing a whole lot of work, uh, I had to reinvent myself uh, again. And that's where Iconic Tonic came from. You know, I, I had always had a background in really kind of understanding what the brand was trying to do in their space. And so I understood the where technology was going. So I went back to school and, you know, put myself through every coding course, design course, graphic arts course. And, you know, I learned instead of just understanding what the design teams could do, I learned how to design, you know, at that point in time, it wasn't the Adobe creative cloud. It was creative suite. I learned every, I learned after effects. I learned production. I learned everything mm. I possibly could for every touch point that would affect the consumer from a hands-on perspective, because I always knew what could be done. I just never really knew how to do it myself. Uh, so I rolled yeah. up my sleeves and then founded Iconic Tonic. And ever since then, we we kind of never looked back. So you talk a lot about human connection, um, which is actually, it's one of our core values. Um, but if if I want to be cognizant of human connection in my branding, in my social, in my, on my website, in, in our sales, like what sort of filter would I look at everything that we do, how, how can we increase that connection with the audience that we want to serve? Well, you know, it's, it's truly understanding your actual audience, you know, their behaviors, how they shop. They're, listen, the data's out there, the research is out there. You just have to buckle down and do it. But even more critical than that is understanding you, if you are trying to be a generational agnostic product, uh, in mm -hmm. other words, you're targeting 14 to 74, 84, whatever it might be, you have to understand that the way that you're marketing to each one of those groups is completely different. You know, different places. You know, I just had this conversation the other day uh, with a client. Uh, he wanted to run the same campaigns across Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and as you really can't do that. And the reason is, is because the campaign that you're running on, he happens to run a uh, application for uh, kickers, for punters, kickers in the NFL. And he's a mm -hmm. thought leader within that space. And 
he's mainly targeting parents. And I told him, you have to target the parents on the Facebook. You know, if you're trying to get the kids on the application, that's what you have to do on Facebook. But you have to be, you know, the cool kid actually being hands-on and doing it on Instagram with kind of that hybrid to the parents that are watching it because they are on Instagram. But the TikTok is a completely different paradigm from the other two. That is specifically for kids. And you're marketing to those, you know, youth generations in a specific way that you wouldn't target those parents over at Facebook. So, you know, it's really, that's, that's the first thing is really understanding, you know, your audience, understanding the demographics, understanding how they interact with brands, what they shop for, what their belief systems are, uh, cultural, uh, culture, ideologies, you know, and it's really digging deep from a behavioral aspect of it and truly understanding what they are at the core, you know, be authentic, you know, be, be, be you, but understand Mm -hmm. how your authenticity relates to them, your, your audience and your customers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, another thing, uh, you know, 2020 is kind of an unusual year to say the least. Uh, what would you recommend just kind of given the, um, you know, maybe some of the divisiveness that we've seen culturally, um, of course, um, and then, you know, the fact that I think consumers have have grown a bunch of new sensitivities uh, as a result of our current and foreseeable future, at least for some time, you know, some of the uh, things that, you know, again, how our culture has completely changed. You know, for me, I have a, I have a hard, fast rule with myself. Um, I don't talk politics and I don't talk religion in business. Right. You know, I think, I think if we follow those two rules, your, your, your divisiveness is going to be kept to a minimum. I think approaching mm-hmm. situations from a under, per, perspective of, you know, understand who you're speaking with. And listen, we all have our problems. We all have our insecurities. We all have our deficiencies. You know, we have our likes, our dislikes. And I think it's, it's selfish from us to presume that we're in the right and that somebody else is in the wrong. So I'm, I'm always a huge proponent of learning the other person. Listen, at the end of the day, you know, 99% of the time, we're probably all in agreement on most things. And it just seems to be that 1% of the time that blows up relationships. Um, and that's kind of a really hard thing. So when I, when I try to approach things, you know, I, I, I don't approach it from a political standpoint. Um, very agnostic right. when I talk things, I keep it business. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's how, that's how I like to approach it. Cause at the end of the day, we we're trying to have a common goal and, you know, anytime you introduce either one of those topics into the conversation, 50% of the time, as we've seen, it's going to impact somebody on some side of the divide. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that you suggest as well is always be thinking three steps ahead. How do we apply that? So, you know, that's, that's a funny thing back in 2008, I had never thought three steps ahead. I didn't <laughs> look. And when that came down, I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I had just, my daughter was just born. I had a toddler son. Uh, the world came collapsing down I mean, in an instant, you know, six months isn't, isn't a necessarily a long, uh, long time, but it's not a short time either. And it, but it seemed like overnight. And I think honestly, looking forward, a lot of what I do, you know, on a daily basis, is I follow market trends and I follow market trends that happen to influence what we do and how it affects our clients. So when this happened, yes, it affected a lot of our business. You know, we lost obviously our retail business. We lost, you know, uh, restaurant companies we were working with and restaurant groups. Uh, you know, a lot of that changed, but what we were able to do is refocus our efforts on where we knew the business was going to be, you know, biotech, pharma, uh, technology, entertainment, production, you know, there was going to be things that we're going to be able to do. Now production took its own shift because, you know, nobody's filming in Hollywood anymore. Uh, You have to keep socially distanced, but that doesn't mean production 
in the capacity like you and I are doing actually stopped. You know, we were able to, and I'm sure you've seen probably even more of an explosive growth because people are now looking for content. So, you know, you have an upswell. My wife is a publicist. People started reading books again. Her authors that, mm-hmm. you know, that had, you know, five, 10 year old books are now coming back out of the woodwork and reinvigorating themselves. You know, so those, there's certain industries that, you know, though they're not insulated, they're more insulated than industries like hospitality, retail, and things where, you know, socially distancing and the actual pandemic had adversely affected. So, awesome. I, so yeah, I would say, I would say, you know, honestly, just always be aware of the market forces, always be yeah. prepared in case something like this, something as catastrophic as this, this, I mean, this is yeah. unprecedented, obviously, yeah. but be, be sure you're prepared, you know, that, yeah. that, you know, that there's another direction, you know, whether it's your business, your product, um, you know, perfect example, my wife's hairdresser, she ended up packaging up color kits for all of her clients. You know, mm-hmm. she wasn't going to be able to see them. So she thought outside of the box and a lot of colorists started doing that. The ones that saw a major impact were the ones that didn't think enough in advance to realize that this was going to adversely affect their business. And mm-hmm. they are where they are at this point. Excellent. All right, Lee, San Martino. Uh, so again, your website is Iconic Tonic. That's Iconic with a K, tonic with a C, dot com. Uh, anything else that people are like, eh, I like this. I like this Lee guy. Where, where do they go from here? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, you know, professionally, uh, you know, they can, yeah. they can visit our website. Um, they can engage with me. You know, I, I always, you know, it's hard. The way we're positioned uh, a lot of the times is, um, you know, we're not really positioned to help the small business that is literally at a foundational level where they're not really mm-hmm. sure they're in an exploratory side of it. It's more along the lines of the small business that has just launched and is looking to grow uh, all the way through, you know, the enterprise and yeah. they, they can reach out to us at any time. Um, and we love to work with people. We love helping people. And even if they're not at that point, you know, we were always, I just had a gentleman up in uh, LA reach, reach out to us. He was starting a secondhand car dealership and, that's not really where we lie, but I gave him all the resources, connections that he could go to. Uh, so, you know, I, I always like to answer people to try to help them along because number one, you never know where they're going to go with their business and when I can actually help them and where they fit in with our business model and we fit in with yeah. theirs. And then number two, it's, you know, karma it comes back to you. <laughs> For sure. All right, Lisa Martino, again, founder and CEO of Iconic Tonic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence each month. We scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, 
you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.